You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. We are absolutely, as a body, unique in all that God has done. But I will tell you this morning, and you don't have to look very far, you don't have to search very far to know that the church, the body of Christ, is going through an identity crisis. We have lost our way largely. We have lost who we are as well. When, when so much of what is talked about as far as church and held up as being that model which we admire, what we're after, actually admiring is the charisma and the, and, the, and the uniqueness of the pastor who stands in the pulpit. Because you remove that pastor and many churches that are, that are holding these elevated positions will, be, will, will not have that position anymore. They're being built around the strength of the pastor. I can name a half a dozen of them right now that we would all recognize and know and, you know, that are just extremely good pastors, but unfortunately, they are the ones being held up. We have to understand that every one of us sitting here have the same capabilities, and it's time to begin to deal with this identity crisis. I share this morning, and, and this is one of those things I love about just the life that I get to live, the life we get to live. So often we, we receive, we have old knowledge with new discovery. Something I've known before, something I've heard before, read before, been taught before. But all of a sudden that old information, that old knowledge comes with new revelation and new discovery. It's an exciting reality. Within the believer's life, if we will simply let it be so, I wondered what we hold in our heads and in our hearts is things we've already been taught that if we would let God, He would bring absolute new discovery, new revelation around that which we, had, which we already know, not even having to go and, be, and have any new revelation. I shared last week, I, I do believe that you and I as believers will be born anew, born again from above many, many times in our lives. Now, please understand, I'm not talking about that we will be saved many times. That's accomplished in one moment. Saved only once, but reborn, renewed by every encounter, by every revelation, by fellowship with each other, by intimacy with the Father, by His Spirit. Every one of those things should, should change us. As I shared last week, I should not wake today the same man I woke to be yesterday. The revelations of yesterday, the, the fellowship of yesterday, the conversations of yesterday, the blessings of yesterday should cause me to wake to do today someone brand new. Something has been changed in me, matured in me, grown in me that I could discover that which God already knows about me. I hope you could understand that. I hope as we talked about it last week that you would become open to that reality that God has an, ever in, an endless desire to change us, transform us 
into His image from glory to glory to glory, looking more like Him in all ways every day. Now this revelation that I'm going to share this morning may seem small, and it may seem very unimportant to many, but in the realm of the identity crisis that we face, not only as a body collective, but individually, because if that body of Christ has, a, has a, an image problem or an identity problem, it's going to be reflected in those of us individually who make up that body. So it's not only the body of Christ that has an identity crisis, it is many of us as well. We need to address it. So again, this may seem small, it may seem relatively unimportant to many. However, it is the, an answer to a question that should be asked but never is. Here's the question. Can there be a split in the church? Can his church ever be divided? Will his body ever be divided against itself? I guess you can tell simply by my asking that question that the answer is no. No, there can never be a split in the church. No, his church will never be divided. No, his body will never be divided against itself. No. And I know, you, we all know, by the frequency of church problems that we would absolutely say that it has split and been divided thousands and thousands and thousands of times. That is our typical image. That is our typical picture. Now, I want to tell you, whichever picture you walk in is going to determine largely the Christian life you live. Because if you think that the church can be divided, you will live always ready to, be, to move to the next one because of the division that we just experienced. But when we know that the church can never be divided, I will recognize that my place in this church will not be altered by a change. How we walk in this reality, again, will dynamically affect who we are as believers. As a local body, this local body, we have experienced church splits more than once. Some of you here have walked through them, lived through them. And we, we answer the question, you know, we talk about the history, about the time that this church split or another time that the church split, or a church in Leveland has experienced a church split where people, groups of people have got up and walked out. I remember those moments here. We all do. If you've been, ever been in a church where that's, that's a huge moment, and our description is, well, the church just experienced a split. I will tell you, the church has never split. It will never split. So that being true, how can I say that his body, his church will never split? So let's go to John 17, if you go there with me. I want to talk about this because I'm hoping that by, by beginning to answer this identity question, I will recognize something about this Christian life, that I get to live each day in the reality of something rather than being upset and broken and angry because of church events, we recognize the truth of what God has said and the power of it.
John 17, I'm going to begin reading with verse 20. Now we remember John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus spoke in one conversation immediately before the cross. They were in the upper room. Jesus is talking to his disciples, sharing very intimate things in John 14, 15, and 16. In John 17, at the end of 16, they get up and leave the room and they're headed to the garden. So very likely, John 17, this prayer of Jesus was offered in the Garden of Gethsemane immediately before his death, before the crucifixion and the trial. Verse 20, he's prayed for himself, he's prayed for the disciples, now he prays for us. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they, sh- that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that, they, that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gave me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, has loved them, and has loved me. So I don't think we're confused by how many times in that prayer he's praying that we would be one. This is Jesus praying this. So I would ask first, was that prayer answered? It's a big question. Was that prayer answered? Was it a suggestion or was it the will of the Father being voiced in Jesus' prayer? Now, I think we know this because I can, go to the, I can go to the model prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus was praying the will of the Father. Now, I would ask, who in the world can unravel the will of God? Who can come against it that that which he has established could ever be removed, ever undone? So this was not a suggestion. This was Jesus praying into existence a church that could not be split. Jay taught on this years ago. It stuck in me. Powerful revelation that Jesus was praying from something that did not exist. And in this prayer, from that which did not exist yet, by Jesus' prayer of obedience, he was praying into existence that which the Father already saw. So there where there was a church, where there was not a church by this prayer, he has established a church that cannot be split. Nothing that in our humanity that we can do will ever split this church, any his church. Go with me to Matthew chapter 13. Let's look at it there. I think this is an amazing picture. <clears throat> Again, I'm in verse 45. Matthew 13, beginning with verse 45. Jesus has just spoken six Parables right before this, all talking about the kingdom of heaven, all talking about something that was going to happen in his kingdom. Warnings largely about that which would come. Now, right before this, in verse 44, in Matthew 13, it says there was a man 
who saw a treasure and he, and he went to buy it. Didn't say he bought the treasure. He had to buy the field that it was in and he left that treasure in the field. Now I'm not confused by that parable. The man who was walking was Jesus. The man seeking was Jesus. Not hard to believe. He was the one who came seeking that which was lost. He came seeking. He found a treasure. Who is this treasure? It's Israel. Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. He calls them his treasure. They are that treasure. But what happened when he came unto his own? What does the scripture say? They received him not. They sent a letter according to Luke chapter 19 when this, when this person came. They sent a letter after him and said, we will not have this man reign over us. So that treasure was left in the field. That's where Israel is today. Still in the world. Still waiting on a moment yet to come. That's where Israel is. So we step into this particular parable. Let's read it. Verse 45 again. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Here he didn't have to leave it. Here he took possession of it. He came seeking. He came searching. He found it. He paid a price for it. He took possession of it. The symbol of the pearl is extremely profound in this scripture. Not only in how it is formed, it was formed by a foreign particle piercing the side of an oyster. In self-defense, that oyster would begin to streak that particle with blood and water and in that spinning to get that protective coating around that which had, had, had pierced the, their side, the pearl would be formed. But the oyster had to die at that time for the pearl to be extracted. What came out of Jesus' side when he was pierced? Water and blood. Blood and water. Blood for redemption. Water for regeneration. Out of a pierced side, a pearl came. He died when that pearl was extracted. He died when that pearl was given. So great picture of how that pearl was formed. Its value, the, the, the Jews won't have anything, wouldn't have anything to do with a pearl. Even the one time that the word pearl is mentioned in the Old Testament, it means crystal. It's not actually a pearl because they wouldn't use it. It was unclean. The way it was formed was unfit. They wouldn't have anything to do with it. But it has a specific reference to the church that has been grafted into that original root of Israel. But the one ever dynamic reality of the pearl is that it has absolutely no value if what? If it is split. You break that pearl. The value of the pearl goes from precious to zero. Now, if he's going to use that illustration for us as this pearl, what's he telling us? If, you, if, if I would ever allow this pearl to be split, that which I hold as the body of Christ, that body that I have indwelt, that body that I, have, that I have used to express myself, if it is ever divided, 
it will go from that which is most precious to me to worthless. So I think I can trust that in the forming of his body, this church, he will form something that can never be split. Never be divided. Now, if we will use a little bit of logic again, we will understand why. Jesus secured this by his death. He secured it by his burial. He secured it by his resurrection. He secured it by giving his Holy Spirit that this body of his, united by his spirit, would never split. Why can't it split? What is the church anyway? We are this strange collection of of those who have exchanged their life, laid their life down to receive this resurrected life of Jesus into our own. I'm no longer my own. I was bought with a price. He paid for me. I laid my life down. You laid your life down. It's his life that lives in me. It's his life that lives in you. It's his life that lives in all of us. How could that life of his ever be split, ever divided, one spirit. How can that one spirit that lives in me ever rise against that spirit that lives in you? It won't happen. Isn't that amazing? It's not because we choose for it not to split. It cannot split. But only will we will not realize that until we know how he formed us. Who are we? I am not the result of thousands of choices I have made each day. I am who I am because he says I am who I am. I can change that. I can let Satan speak to me. I can let him speak a false identity over me. And I can live in the brokenness of that identity. That's the lie. The truth is, he's already established me. Again, I am a child of God. I'm not becoming a child of God. I am a joint heir. I'm not becoming a joint heir. I'm not becoming an ambassador. I'm not becoming fearfully and wonderfully made. He is telling me that's who I already am. And every day I get to learn in the discovery how to walk in the fullness of that. You see, when we, when we really begin to let God tell us not what to do, we'll figure that out pretty easily once we know who we are. But the identity crisis, both individually and collectively, has severely crippled us. The church, this strange spirit-defined creation of God, cannot and will not turn on itself. We all share one life. We all share one spirit. We have all been made righteous as believers. We have been called according to one purpose. We have been saved by one Savior, the river wherever it's flowing, is still the river. Believers of every race, we just sang this song, African believers, Asian believers, underground, wherever they are, one church, this river, believers of every race, every creed, every nationality, every gender, every tongue, brothers and sisters in Christ, that's who we are. I love that. I want that to become evident. Believers, this beautiful river. So what's my responsibility as a part of this river? Not only as a pastor of a a section of the river, 
But individually, what's my responsibility as a part of this river? I have a responsibility. I shared this with Jan this morning. We were, she was, we were backing out of the driveway, and, and she had one of these moments, and she said, sometimes it's overwhelming to realize how much we have been blessed. And I told her, I said, Jan, I know it. I feel those things. And I said, it keeps reminding me. It keeps reminding me that if he's going to give it flowing in, my responsibility as a part of this river is to make sure that it flows out. Man, what joy there is in that. What joy there is in getting to recognize that God has always got this constant flow coming into me. In so many ways, revelation and encounter and blessings and resources, all those things that he, that, he, that he gives us. I only have one responsibility. Don't build a dam. I don't have to worry about it flowing through me unless I intentionally build something to stop it because the Spirit of God in me that's bringing it in is going to have find such joy in the expression of it going out. And I watch Christians who have very little joy in their life, and I, it's not hard to explain. They don't realize just this honorable position that God has allowed us to, to, to be in as children of God, that the, that the flow won't ever stop. As a matter of fact, I, I think he's, he becomes anxious to, to release more in us and to us, that, but he knows what we're capable of handling. The faster we learn to, let, to release that into the life of others, those, those closest to us first, those friends and neighbors the, the, the people of this community, the people of this area, beginning to be transformed because we realize we're, there's only one church. It's the believers here. It's the believers across the street. We can, we can go through neighborhoods and pick up others that are, that are at home for various reasons. We can go out to Cloyne. We can take a left and go to Whiteface. We can go to Morton. We can come back into Leveland. And er, this, as a, this river flows, picking up believers everywhere it goes. Only one body, only one river, only one church, completely undivided. That's why, again, I love these moments. You can sit down on an airplane. I don't like to sit on airplanes anymore, but I used to. And you sit down next to somebody. And you can tell pretty quick if they wanted to have a conversation or not. But every now and then you'd sit down next to one and you realize, I've known you for 15 minutes, and if it was necessary, I'd lay down my life for you. Because I knew I was in the river, standing next to someone who was in that river as well. It's amazing to watch this very natural flow of the river as God connects us with, with the next one and the next one and the next one. At a birthday party yesterday for Dottie, you realize standing in that room, these very strange connections that God has, that, that God has established. How in the world would, would God get a young man from Uruguay to South Plains College? That's a river right there. Through Florida, through Missouri, through Dublin, Ireland, various other stops in the Leveland. Because he had something to bring to us. And we had something to bring to him. Because the river is going to flow through him just like it flows through the rest of us. 
We need to know who we are. We really need to know what God has done. And get rid of this thought that somehow you and I are divided by the differences that we, can, that we acknowledge, but the realization that our differences weren't given to us to divide us. They were given to us because unity is our destiny. It's not an option. Just like intimacy, just like freedom is written into the reality of, of our destiny and in, in with the relationship with God, so is unity. He will always be bringing us, no matter the differences, not into uniformity. He doesn't want us to look alike. He doesn't want us to sound alike. He doesn't even want us to believe necessarily alike in all things. But he brings that diversity that is bound together in the Spirit to create unity. So for just a moment, I want to give you a very brief picture of who we are as this true church. We are His spiritual presence. Think about this. We are His spiritual presence appearing and intermingled with human society, but differing from it extremely and specifically. In the world, but not of the world. We are a spiritual reality, a spiritual presence appearing and intermingled with society around us, but extremely different. So here are some differences. If you're a list taker, here's the list. The first, we are regenerate. We have new life now in us, and with that new life, we are secure in all things. What do most people fear the most? Death. Has that been taken care of for you and I? Absolutely. I will, you will, we will never die. Good news. We're going to have a significant geographical change someday. But, and my spirit and my soul will never die. My body will temporarily. But the reality is that that life that now lives in me is a resurrected life. It's a life that has already overcome death. So when he gave me his life, he gave me a life that has already overcome death. The second one, that regeneration, that salvation by Jesus alone creates in us a uniqueness that cannot be replicated by the world around us. I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm not talking about pride. But I am talking about genuine difference. Because of that regeneration, because of that new resurrected life that we have in us, that salvation by Jesus alone, it creates in us a uniqueness that cannot be replicated by the world. The world won't understand it. The third one, we are truly called out and separated from that previous world we may have known very well. I don't belong to that world anymore. I belong under a new sovereign. I will exist in this one but I belong to another one. I belong to one where the natural is no longer my limitation. I belong to a kingdom that has a supernatural reality to it. I have a power and authority that's defined by the Holy Spirit and not by me. Please always remember the two balloon illustration. Blow a balloon, a balloon with, the, with the air from your lungs. Tie it. Hold it out. You let it go. It's going to drop to the floor. Take that other balloon, fill it full of helium, tie it, hold it out, let it go. It's going to go to the ceiling. Why? Because that balloon could only put on display that which was put in it. 
If it's just me, I will put me on display. But if the Holy Spirit lives in me, the Holy Spirit will put himself on display. I will no longer be bound by my limitations. I will experience his capability. That's who we are. The fourth one, we are children of God in all ways. In those ways do not belong to any other living creature. Let me read it again. We are children of God in all ways. In those ways do not belong to any other living creature. Our uniqueness is spiritually made possible to anyone who will believe. It's not an exclusive group. It's just that it's only, it's only definable by those who believe. The fifth one, as children, our new birth is his work, his life in me by his plan and my request. Let me read it again. As children, our new birth is his work. His design, His purpose, His plan. He simply allows me this choice to agree with Him or disagree. The sixth one. We are kingdom citizens with all the privileges and promises that only belong to those citizens. No arrogance in this. No pride in this. But a dynamic truth what does it mean for me to be a kingdom citizen? It's what Parker taught, taught about two weeks ago. I've got a problem in front of me. I've got an illness. This woman with the issue of blood spent all that she had with every doctor she could find. She had a human problem and she brought the full force of human options against it only to realize that the problem was still there until that moment, that unique moment when she realizes that if I can just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, bring something against that problem that is dynamically different, when that occurred, when that moment occurred, a few hours later, she is standing on top of that problem that she had had for years. Wouldn't that be wonderful for you and I as kingdom citizens to be able to stand on top of that problem that we were facing yesterday elevated from glory to glory, looking more like him in every discovery. The seventh one, according to the scripture, we worship God in spirit and in truth while stating and demonstrating that we do not trust the flesh. That's who we are. We do not trust the flesh. We don't have to because according to scripture, we worship God in spirit and in truth and living in that reality. The eighth one, according to Peter, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Ninth one, we, are earnest, we earnestly believe that we will be taken up and we will share in his triumph, that we are not, we are not earth bound, we are already a heavenly reality. We are already placed in the heavens, seated with him right now in the heavens, even though my feet are still existing on the earth eternal life, a promise, everlasting life assured to us for those who believe that we know that this isn't, the, this isn't our simple story, that we are a part of something eternal, everlasting, something so much more dynamic than we could ever comprehend. That's who we are. We will share in his triumph, not our own. Because we anticipate, number 10, because we anticipate the reality of being present in his glory 
that we recognize that we will share in his rejection by a society that doesn't understand. Please accept this. If I'm going to celebrate and be able in eternity to enjoy even now the triumph of God, the glory of God, the victory of God, I'm going to get to share in that with him as a child, as a joint heir. Be, let, us be re, let us rest assured that in that we will also accompany him in his suffering, accompany him in his rejection, and we shouldn't be worried about it. It's going to be those things that he, that he gives us as a reality of who we are. The 11th one. Our very dynamic is that it is the body in which in or in whom he has chosen to dwell. He didn't choose to take up a residence in the mountains or in the trees, though we can see his handiwork. He didn't choose to come and, and put his dwelling place in any organization that man has created, he came to indwell his own body, the church. And as the dwelling place of God, we walk in that reality. This is not a maybe. This is an identity reality. We are his body in which he has chosen to dwell. Why would he tell us, I will never leave you? I will never forsake you. Because who would he have to walk away from? He would have to walk away from himself. He would have to leave himself because it's him who lives in me, who establishes my life, my coming and my going. It is him that gives me the dynamic for him to leave me or forsake me. He would have to walk away from himself. Each of us is joined together to the whole of his body by relationship, life in the spirit. You know something? I can't get rid of you even if I try. I may, I may run to the furthest corners of the earth and you'll be there because we are formed, intermingled by the spirit of God. It's not because we're physically together all the time. It's because we're spiritually together all the time. That's what forms this body. That's what cre creates this uniqueness of who we are. That's why I can tell you with an absolute certainty that I love you and mean it. I don't care what the relationship looks like on the surface. The love that, that we have for each other is formed in the spirit. So much bigger, so much stronger, so much more healthy than that which we could ever produce. We are united, we are together, and we only have one head, and his name is Jesus. That's the story. I could list a hundred more of who God says we are. But I will tell you this morning, I wish we could just grasp these and live in it. As I told you last week, for me to, to tell you my plans to retire in April are of no effect understanding that God's plan for this body will be unaltered. It will be unchanged. The very dynamic of what he sees will be completely unchanged 
by, by that, he already knows. He already sees. He's already established. And I hope that you can, as I can, begin, in, begin to anticipate with great excitement what he's going to do in this section of the river next. Because he has, he's saying, I've, I've had something back here for you. It wasn't for this time, but I've got something out here waiting for you. And I'm about to, I'm about to open that, that gate and it's going to flow into this river and it's going to flow into this section here in sundown and I'm going to release something else and you watch me. You watch the glory come out of this. There's not a step down. There's not a step away. There's not, there's, there, the river is not being rerouted. He has something else he wants to release and he's going to release it. And we're going to get to live in the glory and the excitement and the anticipation of it. There is no dread here. There is an excitement and anticipation here in all that God is doing. I hope you trust that. Because he says, I am who I am. One body. One people. One love. One grace, one mercy. Here we are, united in His Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that you help us this morning in this identity crisis. So much bigger than this body. So much bigger than just these individuals. This identity crisis is running rampant across the world because the church doesn't truly know who we are anymore. What you have said so it becomes about men's opinion and men's plans and men's ideas and women's thoughts and organizations that we create. We have replaced something that was priceless with something that has been relatively cheap. And Father, I pray that you would just begin in this new season, this new thing that you have coming, this new moment, this, this idea that, that, that has been planted for generations and generations, waiting on the right day, waiting on the right, right, on the right people. Father, it's happened. And we can look with anticipation of what you're about to do. Thank you, Father, for all that, you have, that you're showing us and all that you're telling us about who we are in you so we will be able to move through all this transition undivided, unaltered, united by your spirit. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. Thank you, Father, that we can trust you with our very lives and the lives of our neighbors. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.